All right. Good morning, church. I'm good to see you guys this morning. Everybody turn to your neighbor and said, I can say this. Say, I can definitely tell you need God. Come on, turn to your neighbor. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm not going to leave you out either. You definitely eat them too. Well, as Ricky said, we're starting a new series this weekend that we had had planned for a long time based on Pastor Rick's book, Real Love in an Angry World. And uh, it was interesting, though, because we kind of ran into uh, this dynamic this last week with the hurricane and the flooding and all that, that uh, this morning we kind of had this dilemma, like, you know, do we, do we get up and, and preach the Word of God like we normally do, or, or, or do we need to head in a little bit of a different direction? And, and so we're going to kind of do a, a hybrid between the two. I, I want to speak a little bit this morning, but we're also going to spend some time praying for the folks that have been affected down in Texas and Louisiana. And, and uh, I know we're, we're all, our hearts are, are heavy for them. Um, but we also know that God is good and he is sovereign and the body of Christ is moving in a ma- uh, powerful way. I-, I don't know if you guys, how many you remember when the tornadoes came through Arkansas. Uh, I remember how encouraging it was just to see the body of Christ come together. And not just the local body of Christ here in Arkansas, but churches from all over the United States. I remember working with people from Tennessee and, and other states. And I was really thankful for that. And, and I think with everything that happened with Hurricane Harvey, it's important that, that we recognize how important it is that as a body of Christ that we have real love for people. Uh, you know, it's, there's no doubt, and, and we've mentioned this, and maybe, maybe we talk too much about it, but I, I think it's just important that we're recognizing the times that we live in, and, and there's no doubt you can point out a lot of weakness maybe around even our nation right now in regards to just the divisiveness, <clears throat> political parties definitely not getting along. Um, there's, there's racism. There's, there's just a lot of craziness. But this last week, I don't know about you, but I saw a different picture of what America is, of who we are as a nation, and how interwoven that is with God, with his plan, with his purpose, I mean, this last week, you, you saw people coming together of all races, of all denominational backgrounds. Uh, you saw people working together, like people were actually caring for each other. It was a breath of fresh air in the midst of tragedy. Um, but people were actually being positive. I think even Nancy Pelosi said something nice this last week. I'm not sure about that, but I, I heard a rumor. She might have said something positive. And so... You know, God's still on the throne. And, and, uh, but it isn't to say that there's still not some crazies out there. And we're hearing stories of the camps that were set up around Houston and, and people just, man, just trying to wrap their minds around their new life, their world. It's just devastation everywhere. And there's still these quote-unquote preachers at these camps preaching about how this is God's judgment. How everybody needs to repent. Everybody going to hell. God. And you hear about it, and so frustrating because they didn't go there to love on anybody. They just went there to preach and, and bring this condemnation. And here's the deal. 
When stuff like that happens, it's not always spiritual. But God wants to use it. But we have to love people. And talking about God's judgment, is God's judgment on our nation? Well, probably on some level. But those people needed to be loved. That's what they need. So I thought it would be important for us. This is kind of like the personal checklist. And I do this personally for myself. I, I go to the love chapter, okay? The love chapter in the Bible, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. And, and in this, it, it, it gives a list. It gives this, this rundown, like this is what love, real love really looks like. And, and I, I think if we're going to do a series on, on what it means to have real love, we've got to go through to the definition according to the word of God. And, and I think especially with everything that we're dealing with, like what does real love look like? How do we do this? So I'm going to read through this. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, starting in verse 1, I'll read a few verses and then skip down to verse 13. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay, that, that is talking about those so-called preachers. You can get up there and have the right word at the wrong time, and you are annoying to God. You can get up there and and be saying the right things according to the word, but with the wrong spirit at the wrong time in the wrong way. And guess what? God is just annoyed with everything that you're doing. It is a clinging gong and symbol. Okay? It goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains. Man, that is a lot. Like, these are big time things. That all of us, like, man, these are super spiritual things you'd want to have around your life, right? Like, if you could prophesy and if you could have just supernatural wisdom and knowledge and all these things. If you could do all these things, but you don't have love, guess what? You're nothing. You're missing it. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And in verse 13 it says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and all of those are really important, but the greatest of them is love. Love. So let's run down this. Let's just, just do a, a checklist of our hearts, of our spirit, and just say, man, how am I doing with this? First of all, love is patient. Love is patient. Anybody ever prayed for patience? Anybody ever prayed for patience before? Okay. If you commute to Little Rock, you better do it every day. Every day. I promise you this. If you take four little kids fishing, you better be praying for some patience before you ever get out there. Here's the deal. I pray for, I pray for patience. This is usually how my prayer for patience goes. God, give me patience. <laughs> Nail. <laughs> I'm like mad and angry and impatient about him giving me patience. And, but the truth is this. You don't actually need to pray for more patience. 
you actually need to pray for more love. You don't need to have prayers for patience. You just, if you're loving, you're going to be more patient. <laughs> and that's really important because you can say, well, I'm really, really patient, but in your heart, just want to tear somebody apart. Well, that's, that's not real love and that's not real patience. Hopefully people would describe me as someone that loves other people. Hopefully that's true, but I will say that even though I love people, I'm not patient with all of them. I'm not patient. I, sometimes people just rub me the wrong way. You know, it's even some pe- people that I like a lot, love a lot, but they drop the ball or they show up late. And it, and it, it can get me in a place where I had to stop loving them the way I would want to love them. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is kind. Think about this. When you're in a tough spot, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. <laughs> you're going to call somebody who's kind. If you're having a tough time, you're going to call somebody who's like, man, I just need somebody that's going to be nice to me right now. Care about me. Help me. The problem is, so many of us have moved from a place of kindness to a place of opinion. Like we've gone, we've gone from this place where it's, it's like, well, I want to be kind to you, so I'm just going to let you know what the truth is right now. <laughs> it's not very kind when you tell them the truth. We, we tend to want to correct more than we want to exhort and lift people up. Our sense of justice and right and wrong takes us away from a place of being kind to a place of just wanting to be right. Does not envy. The envy of another person's job, maybe just something you were supposed to get that you didn't get. A sibling got it instead of you. Somebody got the new car. Somebody got the new kitchen that you wanted. Somebody got the new NFL game day package. Okay, we're a little jealous of that. Another kid got the teacher that you wanted for your kid. The coach is overlooking the overwhelming, obvious talent of your child in preference to some other kid that's six years old. It does not boast. It does not boast. Okay, I'm typically a pretty confident person, okay? And people that are, are confident... <laughs> thing is, man, you don't worry too much about whether or not people are talking good about you because if nobody's talking good about you, you just brag, brag about yourself. I mean, confident people, that's the way they are. So if I don't want to say anything good about it, that's okay. I'll just say good stuff about myself. <laughs> I'll just do it for myself. But this is what I've noticed. I've noticed that in that place, it is miserable. It says in Proverbs 27, 2, let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Maybe in the last 24 hours, you've had a, a few opportunities to boast a little. And you can, you know, Christians are so tricky with this, right? Praise God. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. <laughs> 
I think some of you, this is going to be really strong, but some of you are having a really hard time finding true love because you're so in love with yourself. (laughs) There's no room for someone else to love you. Some of you, you are so madly in love with yourself, it is hard to be a parent who loves you. It's, it's, it would be almost impossible for a boyfriend or a girlfriend to try to come in there and show you love because it, all the love space is taken up with you loving yourself. And I will say this, not even Jesus can work with that. Like Jesus is trying to love on you, but you, man, you're so, you have gotten, you're a professional at loving yourself. And it's image, and it's, it's about everything that you're accomplishing and doing. And, but but I, I find that it's so much more fulfilling when you just let somebody else do the bragging about you. It is not proud. Now, these seem like the same thing, but I, I think this is, it's, it is a different thing because some people think that, pr- that pride is just this outward arrogance, right? Like, man, they are prideful. But, but pride is anytime you take focus away from God's ability and put it on your ability or inability. So guess what? Pride is also insecurity. You wouldn't think that, but then you're, you're talking about how not good you are. It's the same type of thing as saying how good you are, how great you are, because it's taking the focus away from God's ability and putting it on, on you. Proud love is not sincere love. The rich young ruler, when he came before Jesus and he said he wanted to follow him, and Jesus said, that's fine, but you, you know, here's the first thing, you've got to follow my commandments. And this rich young ruler, he's a big deal. He said, oh, I've been doing all that. So he lied to God. I've been doing that my whole life. Like I, and he's saying that he loves Jesus, but then when it's really tested, and Jesus says, ultimately, you have to humble yourself and get rid of everything that makes you important. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. I noticed that, that pride really is, is a false sense of security. You ever... You know, a scar is an indication of something being healed, right? And all of us are going to have those throughout the course of our lives. That's like our testimony. Like the emotional scars, the, the, those relational scars. Like, but they're healed. But, but I find what pride is, it's, it's like an open wound. It's never quite healed. You ever had just like a really, really, really bad sunburn before? Like really bad? Lobster bad? And, and it's kind of like a little bit of God's judgment for you bragging about going to the beach all the time, that type of thing, you know? <laughs> but then you, you come to church, but nobody knows you have a sunburn. Hey, brother, how you doing? <sighs> like you're trying to contain the anger, but you're violent in your heart. I find that that's what pride is like. It's like somebody bumped into something open in your life and you're trying to put up this facade that you're not really hurt. 
You're not really in pain. I got this. I got this. If they just get around something that hurts still in their heart, it hurts them emotionally. It still hurts. And so pride can't be sincere love until you're willing to expose the weakness and let people love you. I find that people that let others love them, they, they love well too. It does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. Look, as a pastor, I prom- I've got some dirt on people. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I could, I could dishonor five, six people a day easily. But love... Real love, it doesn't look for opportunities to dishonor. It looks for opportunities to cover and to protect. Love doesn't dishonor. People can be frustrating. And it can be easy to jab them. And it can be easy to get around your home or around your spouse and feel like that. That's the safe place to dishonor, but it's still dishonor. And what I find is sowing and reaping applies. If you get around and dishonor other people, there's a really good chance, guess what? They're going to be dishonoring you too at some point, or someone else is. Love doesn't dishonor. It's also not self-seeking. There's this book called The Upside-Down Kingdom, where in the, in, in the natural world, there's this pyramid thing, right? And when you're at the top, that's when you're successful. That's when you, you're making it happen. That's when you're making the most money. You've got the highest position. You have all these things. But in the kingdom of God, that pyramid is turned upside down. And Jesus has all authority and all power. The highest position, but he is on the bottom serving up. Taking care of other people. So he said, look, if you want to be first, you got to be last. If you want to live, you got to die. It's putting yourself in a place that's humble and low. The hardest track in life is going to try, is you trying to prove that you're better than someone else. That is just going to wear you out all the time. Don't use others to build your dream. But I would encourage you to find the dream in someone else and help build that. And then all of your dreams are going to come true, I promise you. But don't look to yourself first. Look to others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Not easily angered. Are you easily angered? I can be sometimes. Man, I can be. I can have a really short fuse, and unfortunately, I have a short fuse around the people I love the most. It's interesting. I can have a lot of grace for total strangers. And then the people that I love the most, man, it's like ticking time bomb. Maybe that's you. Some people, man... They just get mad at everything. They watch the news, they get angry. They go to work, they get angry. They go on vacation, they get angry. They go to an anger management class and they quit because it made them mad. I mean, it's just like everything makes them angry. They read the word of God, it makes them angry. 
They watch, they watch the flood. It makes them angry. Just a lot of anger in their life. That's just not love. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. How's your bookkeeping? How are your record books looking right now? This is one area where you want them to be clean. Empty. I think I need to say thank you right here because I, I don't feel like as a church on the whole, you guys are keeping a lot of records of wrongs. We have weaknesses at a church, as a church. We do. We have them. And, and I'm the most aware, typically, of those weaknesses. Sometimes I find out something I didn't know, but, I'm, but typically speaking, like, I know. I know my own weaknesses, but I'm thankful. Like, I almost never get hate mail, you know? Except from cat people, every once in a while they're real offended, you know, and everything. But, but on the whole, like, over stuff that matters, you know, like, I don't, I don't, get, I don't get negative, mean emails from people. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not saying I never do. Because <laughs> I got some emails, man. God, they would make you shake in your chair right now. But on the whole, it's just not the case. I'm thankful that we're not a part of a church that's always keeping track of everything that's wrong and negative. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Now it's talking about what love does. It talked about what love doesn't do. Now it's talking about what it does. It's talking about, hey, why don't you be a person that celebrates people? Like you celebrate, you have a celebrating personality. I struggle with this because I'm a doer, man. I want to just get the job done. And sometimes I get the job done and I just move on to the next job. And don't slow down long enough to celebrate other people, celebrate what God is doing. But this is what love does. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I'm speaking that over every marriage in this place. God wants you to walk in that relationship with his love, not the world's definition of love. Because the world's definition of love is based on whether you're happy or not. And that is not covenant marriage. Covenant marriage says, no, I'm going to love and I'm going to protect and I'm always going to trust and I'm always going to hope and I'm going to always persevere until Jesus comes back. I am not giving up. I'm going to fight. But you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. That's the issue. The reason why you're missing out on the love that God would have for your relationship is you quit fighting the right fight. You're not fighting your spouse. But the devil is kicking your butt. When you fight the right fight, though, you, you, it gives God a chance to move and work. and You keep the right love there. I find that it says that right after it says love never fails. If you're failing in an area of your life, it's, there's a really good chance there's just not love in that area. Because love never fails. Never fails. And so, what I, even around this church, like it, I, I just got done saying, for the most part, people don't have negative things to say, but every once in a while, you know, they, they've got 
something that they don't like about the way we're doing something or a ministry or, or just the functionality of something. And, and, and privately, what I know is when that person is coming and saying all those things, what they're really saying is, I don't feel loved enough. That's what they're saying. So it could be around any area. I, I don't even know what it would be. Uh, let's say coffee bar. Coffee's just way too strong around here. Man, I, I just wasn't, I like my coffee at 140 degrees. And uh, I like it to burn all my taste buds off. It's just a little bit too cold. So just complaining about whatever. But what, I, what, I, what I'll do is I'll lean in and say, okay, what are they really saying? Like, maybe that's too little of, a, of an issue that people would bring up. But on the whole, when somebody is, is just really passionate, upset about something that's going on, it usually just means they don't feel loved enough. And so we zero in and we say, how can we love this person? And we start loving them. And then what, this is what happens. Then they come back and say, hey, thanks so much for fixing that. And we did nothing. We didn't change anything. We just loved them more. We just loved them more because love doesn't fail. It just gets them out of that place. It changes their perspective. They just needed to feel loved and valued, that their opinion mattered, that there was something in them that they had to offer that maybe we weren't seeing and we needed to see it, but once we do, it just changes things. Maybe there's someone around your life that's like that. They just need to, to know that you care about them. You know, they need to see your love a little more. And then verse 13 says, And now these things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. The story of the Samaritan that was mugged and left on the side of a road. Religious people passed him by. And the good Samaritan, the guy on the side of the road wasn't the good Samaritan, but the good Samaritan came along and he picked him up. And he, he showed him love. He took him to a hotel, paid for him to stay there till he got better. He showed him love. As a church, we can't, be a, we can't yell and scream about God's love and point it about God's love. We've got to walk over and show God's love. We've got to walk over and show God's love. I'm really proud. As a church, we did that this last week. You may not have heard much about it, and that's the way it's supposed to be. But we... We did. We walked over and showed, but here's the thing. If you're missing components of this, it may be because your heart is callous. It may be that for whatever reason, you weren't loved, and so you don't get it, and, and, and it's affecting your relationship with God. The Holy Spirit, man, is trying to get into your life, and He's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way in. He's, he's trying to get in and love you. Last year, there, there was flooding in Louisiana and it, quite a bit of devastation. You see a lot of it on the news. I'm glad that this is getting so much news coverage because it helps people know what needs are and how severe it is. But there, were, there was a flood last year and Pastor Rick's old church, it's at Bethany World Prayer Center, um, and the pastor of that church is, is one of the, the guys who was actually in Pastor Rick's youth group growing up. And his name is Jonathan Stocksdale, and he, he's a pastor. He's also a songwriter, worship leader. And he was talking about the devastation that was around 
and just how overwhelming it was. Like, like people coming to church, like people that were very affluent, just showing up in like gym shorts and ragged t-shirts because that's all they had left. They were coming to church, but just like the wall, there weren't even walls in the church. They had to tear out all the sheetrock. And so it was just like, just metal studs everywhere. And, but he's talking about in that moment, above all of that, he hear the voice of God. And he wrote this song about it. Um, and I thought it would be good for us to listen to this because this is what I want you to do. As you're listening to this, I want you just to consider like, when a hurricane happens, it presents a felt need it's easy to see what the need is. But I want you to consider, maybe it's not apparent, but what's the need of your spirit that God is trying to speak into? Let's listen to this together. thought you'd never say a word I thought you'd always be silent But then I heard a gentle whisper That changed it all, you changed it all Echoes over mighty waters. The Lord thunders over rising seas, crashing like lightning, moving the mountains. But sweet enough to be deep inside. Sweet 
close my eyes and breathe you in and ask you now to let me hear I close my eyes and breathe you in and ask you now to let me hear I close my eyes and breathe you in and ask you now to just let me hear your voice, your voice echoes over mighty waters, the Lord thunders over rising seas, crashing like lightning, moving the mountains, sweet enough to be deep inside. close our eyes right now and bow our heads. I don't know what the storm is in your life, but I know that God's heart is he would just still yourself for a little bit. And I know that if you'll listen, he's saying that you're mine. You're mine. I love you. And, uh, you know, that applies to all of us. But there might be some of you this morning and you just never opened your heart. You've never opened your life truly to accept his love. You've never heard his voice. But maybe this morning you're, you're sensing his Holy Spirit speaking to you that it's time. It's time for you to surrender to him. Time to surrender your life. And if you're here this morning and you know that that's you, I'd love to just pray with you. And I promise you, I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy or embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you just to take a small step of boldness. If that's you, I'd ask you just to put your hand up right now. Anyone in this room, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life. I need a relationship with him. God, I need to rededicate my life to him. Anybody else in this place? Got it. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Thanks, man. God will honor that. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Those of you who just raise your hand, I want you to know that God is here to meet with you. He's going to meet you right, right there in your chair. At some point, I think it's important that you, you tell people about this. You go public with your faith. Water baptism is a great way to do that. But right there in your chair, just talk to God. Say, say something like this. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me for my sin. 
Thank you that you, you didn't stay dead, Jesus. You defeated death. You defeated my sin in the grave and you rose again. And right now I ask for your forgiveness. Forgive me of my sin. I repent. I'm going to stop. I'm going to turn away from living for myself and living for the world. And God, with all my heart, I want to live for you. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I just ask God that you would come and take over. Lord, that you would help me to understand more of your love, your plan, your purpose, what you would have for me, Lord. God, help us as a church to be a church that understands what it really means to love. And we know that that starts with us individually understanding how much you love us. We can't give what we don't have. So thank you, God, for your grace to show us the areas that maybe we're not letting you love us. Help us to see areas where maybe we're not showing that same love to others. We thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name. This is what we're going to do today, family. Uh, We're going to spend just a few minutes, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for those that are being affected um, still by the aftermath of Harvey. And we're going to pray for Louisiana, some of the flooding that's going on there. And so you can just stay seated. You can kneel if you want to. All I'm going to ask is just that you don't draw attention to yourself. But let's just spend some time as a church family. We're also honoring our authority that asked us to do this. And, uh, but it's important that we do this as the body of Christ. Prayer works, amen? So let's just spend some time praying this morning for, for Houston and for the areas that have been affected by this, for the body of Christ, for people to come to know Jesus through this. Let's pray. Father, we just give you these next couple of minutes. We lift up our intercession to you, Lord. Our prayer in Jesus' name.